0: The season of Epiphany addresses this question, just who is this Jesus who was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth, and what does it mean to be his followers? How shall we then live? Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Holy One, as scripture is read and pondered, enlighten us to the wide truth of your grace, that each one of us is called by name to follow the path Jesus blazed into your realm of love and justice, amen. Paul admonishes his friends in Corinth to rise above their fractious divisions, keeping their eyes fixed on the deep meaning of Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10-18 through 18. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you should be in agreement, and that there should be no divisions among you, but that you should be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by chloe's people that there are quarrels among you my brothers and sisters what i mean is that each of you says i belong to paul or i belong to apollos or i belong to cephas or i belong to christ has christ been divided was paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of paul i thank god that i baptized none of you except Crispus and gaius So that no one can say that you were baptized in my name i did baptize also the household of stephanus beyond that i do not know whether i baptized anyone else for christ did not send me to baptize but to proclaim the gospel and not with eloquent wisdom so that the cross of christ might not be emptied of its power for the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God.
1: Walking along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus invites several fishermen to follow along. Matthew chapter four, verses 12 through 23. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the lake, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. For the word of God in scripture, for the Word of God among us.
2: Starting in the mid 1990s and running for about 12 years or so, I provided commentary on WCBS News Radio under the banner of Simple Truths on Values, Civility, and Our Common Good, eventually collected into a book by the same name. Christ Church felt that this was a useful incursion into the public square concerning things that mattered most, emerging from our mission to love God and neighbor. Not advertising, even though we bought the time, but commentary about human flourishing. And it rode a cresting wave in a resurgence of radio listenership. At the time, WCBS had the widest reach for news radio on the eastern seaboard, Predating Sirius XM, then overlapping with breakthrough tech and social media that fractured the market into a thousand points of light and an entirely different environment for the exchange of ideas. It's wildly more complicated today. Back then, WCBS was a go to landing for up to the minute news and sports in the largest regional market and lots of folks would write or call into Christchurch from as far south as Baltimore and as far north as Boston responding to one of my brief commentaries. At the time it seemed to scratch the itch of many who were sensing the devolving of our cultural commitment to the common good. I sensed a deep loneliness even and need for some deeper connecting. As I wrote in the book's preface, as one man, husband, father, friend, citizen, child of God, I want to live with greater attention to the things that upbuild my individual life, relationships, and healthy community. Yet this often seems a lonely enterprise, and I find that I am easily distracted. After all, I'm making my way in the very same cultural context as everyone else. We share the struggle for identifying and then maintaining the values that promote the common good. And this isn't easy, even for those who attempt to practice and advance a particular religious tradition. I know only too well how religious practice can be overwhelmed by cultural tidal forces. And you know, given current conditions in our nation, this focus now seems really Kind of prescient, anticipating an accelerating breakdown of shared values and definitions of the common good. The specter of someone like George Santos winning an election on a completely fabricated life narrative and then embraced in service of a completely cynical power arrangement based on larger false narratives serves as a kind of metaphor for the depths to which we've sunk listening to the worst angels of our nature rather than the better ones. Where is evidence of the best of what we can be in our public life? Well, in our, own, in our own individual lives. Among current cultural trends, increasingly, we're talking to ourselves inside echo chambers. To a great degree, unregulated technology feeds the beast of our discontent and And as the comparative maps of blue and red reveal, we seem to be separating geographically as well. An odd coupling of increasing individual atomization with tribalist tendencies. Witness what's happening to our United Methodist denomination. Now, underneath our disagreements, most of us probably still want similar things security, useful work that pays a living wage, equal rights and dignity before the law and one another, clean air and water, access to quality health care, things like that. Given this, in days ahead, I'll continue to look for ways to promote the common good across our fracturing differences. Stunning how our political culture has lost its grip on accomplishing good ends for all, rather than amassing power for the sake of power. Paul pointed out to the squabbling Corinthians, their unity would not be found in the competition between various factions and leaders, but in their commitment to a larger purpose. In this case, to Christ and his purposes. Paul meant to hold them accountable to enduring gospel values, emphasizing God's love for all persons, including those they disagreed with, and especially those at the margins, the ones Jesus regularly embraced. Here's how he put it to his Philippian friends. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Here's a gospel paradox. Jesus was not a political partisan, but he died a political death. Some wanted him to pick up a weapon and lead a political movement to overthrow the government. But that would have diminished, well, well really, crushed his multi-layered purpose. Instead of walking a path towards power, he chose a path of humility that kept him in solidarity with the powerless. As we just pointed out during Christmas, his birth in a stable was emblematic of how he would track in life, despite his exceptional qualities. As he began his public ministry, from the margins, people were drawn to his topsy-turvy, yet profoundly insightful teaching. And as we heard in our passage from Matthew, he invited a few of them to follow along more closely, those we call his disciples. But friends, here it's useful to ask what followership actually meant. What did it mean to follow along then? And by turn, what does it mean to follow along today? Jesus was a brilliant educator in the school of experiential learning. Last week, we heard him ask those who had come out to see him this question. What are you looking for? Throwing the onus for their learning back on them. They then asked where he was headed. And he responded, come and see. In other words, come, see for yourselves. Don't simply take my words, but observe. Discover by doing. Intrigued. Some followed along with him. And 2,000 years later, here we are. As the story unfolds, we learn these followers are both loyal and feckless. They're a lot like us, really. Jesus' message was as confounding as it was liberating. He was a Messiah who avoided political power while simultaneously exerting profound moral authority. Most confounding of all, No one, no one was excluded from his concern. He was as uncomfortable addressing the specific needs of a marginalized, desperate, crazy man as he was admonishing huge crowds to prepare for God's way in the world. Next week, we'll read his famous words that open the Sermon on the Mount, the so-called Beatitudes or blessings. On a mountainside crammed with thousands, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. That that turns the world's grading system completely upside down. He'll go on to say outrageous things like how we are to love our enemies, And rather than storing up riches on earth, we should store them up in heaven. And how we should not judge, since we are blind to the log in our own eye, while we curse the speck in the eye of someone else. How we are meant to become salt and light for the world. So we learn that his followers are meant to commit to these same values rooted in humility. Later, towards the end of his life, he'll teach that the nations will be judged on how well they care for the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, and the imprisoned. And his followers will take this to heart, that today shows up in their generosity of dollars, time, and energy, as well as their commitment to dismantling systemic roadblocks to human flourishing for everyone. Modeling Jesus' behavior, his followers will confront the powers that favor one group over another. They'll promote the safety and dignity of all persons, regardless of external conditions. As the prophet Micah famously admonished, they will do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with their God. These have always been the hallmarks of faith, as modeled and mentored by Jesus, who told his close friends to love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Then, stunningly, shortly after this instruction, he was arrested by the state. His crucifixion raised high this command to love for all to see, looming over the centuries to our present moment. And it remains our highest calling and the source of our enduring hope. Friends, as as I take my leave of you as senior minister, I admonish you to keep your eye on the prize. Don't falter. Show up. Bear witness to the highest and best truth. Continue learning to love very well. Remember that you cannot do this all by yourself. We need a community of faith that holds and sustains our own faith, encouraging and challenging us to become the people God intended in the first place. What a gift you are for one another, even as you have been a gift to me.